We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. Peace is one of those good gifts that is promised to us from the Lord. We'll get to that a little more in a moment, but God is a giver of good things to us. I hope you know that and experience that in your own life. Um, and furthermore, um, hopefully you've been joining along with us in reading through James. This is our second week in this little pastoral letter. Um, James, I love James. James is kind of punchy, isn't he? He doesn't mince words at all. Um, it took a little bit for uh, the early church, not necessarily early church, a little later than that, um, to include James in the New Testament canon. Um, one of the reasons is, is because Jesus, Jesus is rarely mentioned just in verse 1 of chapter 1 and verse 1 of chapter 2. And some of our reformers even thought, why include James? There's so little of Jesus in there. But the reality is, is hopefully as you'll see, that there is Jesus on every page. Um, the language of Jesus is just drenched in James's words, and hopefully you'll capture that. So speaking of James, there's little doubt that this is the half-brother of Jesus, who came to faith in his brother only after he had risen from the grave. But it didn't take long for James to become a prominent leader in the earliest days of the church. We read all about him in the book of Acts. He essentially became pastor of First Church Jerusalem, of a smattering of house churches that would gather and worship together in temple by day and each other's homes by night. They would celebrate who Jesus is and what he'd done and would take meals together. James was their pastor, their pastor. And we have every good reason to believe also that James's letter is the first authoritative written document to these new believers. Incredible. Uh, written to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem and beyond, many of whom had already begun to experience persecution from local Jewish leaders. You remember at Pentecost, they came, heard the gospel, uh, they responded in faith to Christ, and then they scattered. These are the Jewish Christians um, that James is writing to, along with those who had to flee Jerusalem because of per persecution and other locales. And so here we have these 108 verses were likely the first instructive words given to new Christians scattered over the known region. The first Christian manual. And so James teaches his readers to see this Christian life through a brand new lens, to, to be lived out in a, a brand new kind of way. He answers the question as a pastor would to his flock, how, how do I make sense of this Christian faith? What is it all about? And, and how in the world are we to live out this faith in the kind of world that we're living in? Can you imagine? 
We all taste hardship, but they, they were tasting hardship, likely some persecution, and they probably were wondering, where's God in all this? Aren't I faithful? Haven't I put my faith in Jesus, the Son of God, the King of the universe? Where is he? And, and James is offering these encouraging words. Let me tell you how to live by faith in a world like that. He challenges, he warns, he commands, and he encourages. But most importantly, James is a welcome letter, a much-needed letter to a brand new meaningful life for the Christian living in a broken world. And so with that in mind, would you stand with me and we're going to read from your worship folder James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Let's pray. Father, Lord, this is your word, and we need your spirit to help us understand and obey. So we ask that you accomplish that work of faith in us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. And so today we are in verses 12 through 18. You're probably asking, why did we include 12 and the reverse text during the sermon? Um, the reverse passage this week was 13 through 18, but it's important that we include verse 12 because it's a tie-in. It's a tie-in to um, these next few verses. It binds these next few verses to verses 2 through 4. Verse 12 wants us to make sense of the words that he is about to say in light of what he has already said. And so let me use verse 12 as a little review for us as to where we've been just starting last week. So if we go back to verses two through four, James reminds us or teaches these new Christians and teaches us that when troubles come, not if troubles come, but when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy because God's gonna use that, right? He's gonna use that. The reality is when we read verses like that, I think if we're honest, when we read verses like that, it's hard. These aren't pleasant verses to read, are they? Uh, they? They don't give us warm fuzzies when James talks about trial and hardship and opposition that we may face. And the truth is, um, endurance and enduring through those things is often painful and hard and exhausting. But James is inviting us and these early Christians to look at suffering in a brand new way, uh, to peer through these trials and obstacles with a brand new lens and with brand new eyes. Again, for James, it's not a matter of if you're going to experience trials. We know this. It's just a matter of when whether that's trials of life, financial hardship, or, or, or illness that we face, or maybe it's opposition in the workplace, or opposition because of our faith, which we have really never tasted here in the United States. 
Um, or, or maybe it's just our own sinful brokenness, which we're going to get to more in a moment. But he says, regardless, I want you to consider those moments of opposition and trial as an opportunity for great joy, right? It, because it's in the middle of those op, that opposition, those trials that God tends to press and pull and bend us into the likeness of his son. If we're faithful and we endure, James says, Pastor James says, God's going to use that. He's not going to waste it. You'll be complete, lacking in nothing. So don't shrink back in your faith, Christian, in the middle of those trials and troubles, but let your faith grow as you fight to hold on to the promises of Jesus in the middle of them. So I, I train regularly in jujitsu. It's a grappling martial art, which simply means I don't hit anybody in the face. I don't kick anybody. It's all arm locks and chokes. It's still not pleasant. Um, yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. It's still not pleasant. But the, one of the unique things about jujitsu is that I can train literally at 100%. I don't have to pull, excuse the pun, pull my punches, even though I don't punch. Um, I don't have to pull my punches. I, I could train at 100%, which means when I am with a training partner, they can apply 100% active resistance against me. Now, the value of that is incredible because I have spent my time training and learning from a coach or professor, and being able to receive 100% active resistance no one's holding anything back. I can really test my knowledge, right? I can really test my skills. Are my skills enough to defend myself? And can I react accordingly to whatever this person is throwing my direction? It's really only, it's the truest way to know if you know what you know. And you can do what you can do. It's really the place where you can be tested, and if I, if I am lacking, then it's an opportunity to rethink, okay, what do I need to tweak? What needs to change? This is exactly what James is talking about. He's saying, listen, the world is going to offer you 100% active resistance every day. Some of you more than others. You, you have been to places I've never been. But James says, listen, consider that an incredible opportunity because it's in the middle of that 100% active resistance that you can really test the kind of faith and muster you have. And if you're lacking, then you can tweak. And by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, your faith can be stretched and you can grow. And so for those reasons, James is like, this is a good thing. It's a good thing. Consider it an opportunity of great joy. But also by review, James doesn't stop there in these early verses in James. He says, listen, I know life is hard. It's coming your way. But listen, you're not alone. If you seek wisdom, you can go directly to the Lord, right? God is ready to help you all along the way. Ask him for wisdom. But he does so with a little bit of a warning, right? He says, when you go to the Lord, I want you to be an undivided man or woman. I, I, don't want you, I don't want you to be uh, mixed loyalties. I, I want you to put your eggs all in one basket. I don't want you to hedge your bets. I want you to put all your bets on the, on the Lord's wisdom. And the warning is pretty clear. He says, because listen, if you go to the Lord as an option, as an option, he's not gonna honor your requests for wisdom. 
because you're a divided person. You're like someone tossed in the wave of the sea. Well, maybe I'll seek wisdom from there, and if that doesn't pan out, maybe then I'll go to the Lord. Listen, uh, the promises and the word of God and the wisdom of God should be the first place we go when we face hardship. Certainly not Facebook. The word of God should be the beginning and end of our pursuit of wisdom. And then he doesn't stop there in verses 9 through 11. How do we navigate this life? He says, listen, don't bank on your bank account either. Whether you have a little or a lot, uh, your greatest treasure in the universe is Jesus himself. The, uh, later, the author of Hebrews would say, set your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. This is, what, this is what James is saying. Listen, the greatest resource that you have to endure the trials, the trials that you face is God alone in his wisdom, and he is also your greatest resource. Don't look to, don't look to anything else. As you endure these trials, look to God alone. And so James says to us, let me welcome you to this brand new meaningful life where even the trials we face, God will use to work a miracle in us. Just another opportunity to keep an eye on the prize, the crown of life that is secure in Jesus. Now let me read verse 12 that locks all this into place. Again, verse 12 is this summary for us of what he has just said in these past few verses. Verse 12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. He blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised those who love him. Again, like I said, uh, James's language is drenched with the words of Jesus. If you go to Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, what does he say? Those who endure until the end will be saved. That's what James is saying. Listen, God blesses those who endure until the very end. They will receive the crown of life. They will receive the crown of life. We will be blessed made complete, lacking in nothing. Of course, we know he doesn't stay at that summary. He moves on to verses 13 through 15. Let me read these. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and with sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And so James has told us, I want you to look at your trials and troubles in opposition with a brand new lens. Consider it an opportunity for great joy because God's going to use it. He's primarily at that point early on just talking about these external trials and troubles that we face. But often, And James knows, and that's why he's saying this, is that those external troubles often lead to internal battles, right? Uh, Those external troubles become a trigger for internal battles. But let me just say this really quickly. We don't need a catalyst on the outside to trigger internal battles, do we? We do not. Uh, And that's part of what James is about to say. But the reality is, is that James is now moving beyond the external and getting into your heart. He's gonna meddle with your heart. 
And he has two things to say about that kind of internal struggle. Now, in verse 2 and verse 12, James uses the exact same Greek word. We translate it two different ways. In verses 2 through 4, it's test, testing and trials, right? In verses uh, 13 through 15, that same word is being translated as temptation because, again, he's alluding to the internal struggle of the human heart. But he has two things to say about the nature of temptation that he wants these Christians, including us, to know. And the first thing is this. God is never the cause of temptation. God is not the author of the internal struggle in your heart, in my heart. He never is, or anyone else for that matter. We often can blame, gosh, I wouldn't get so angry and act out if she hadn't done this. Man, I really wouldn't have acted out and done this if this hadn't happened. And James is saying, listen, you've got to nix all of that because God is not the author of that and no one else is the author of that. You know who the author of that is? You are. Your own internal struggle in your human heart. God, God is not ambitious to create that internal war between the flesh and the spirit. Temptation does not originate in the heart of God. He has never been tempted. God reigns supreme in the heart of God. When we think of the Ten Commandments, commandment number one, right? There should be no other gods before me. Well, that's absolutely true of the heart of God. There is no other God before God. And for that reason, he can't be tempted by anything, and, and therefore he doesn't tempt anyone. That's not his heart. That's not his ambition. Temptation begins in the human heart. Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say, and let me add, what you do flows from what is in your heart. James is saying the exact same thing. Again, words just drenched with the words of Jesus here. You are tempted because your heart is your own worst enemy. It is a treasure trove of evil desires, and those desires lure us away. And if we don't go to war against those evil desires, then actually they will end up leading to us acting out on those desires and it becomes tangible sin that affects the lives of people around us. Jane would say, if you go on to feed that sin, if you indulge that desire, it, it, it doesn't wane. It grows, and it gives birth to sin and ultimately death. The imagery that James uses is absolutely perfect. He uses a hunting analogy, right? You are, you are enticed by your own desires and you're lured away, much like that wonderful fishing rod that, that um, Jimmy had up here with that beautiful lure on it that's sparkly and attractive to the fish and appealing, right? That's what the nature of our own broken desires do. It lures us away. It, it offers us something that's not real. It, it makes promises that it can't keep. It's beautiful energy, or it's like, it's like the um, deer that's been lured away by well-placed corn during the off-season, right? 
And before we know it, we are caught hook, line, and sinker. The lure is deceptive. It catches our attention and it makes promises. Listen, Christian. Our desires become evil when they believe the lie rather than the promises of God. Our desires become evil when they believe the promises of the world or of our own broken heart rather than believing and holding on to the promises of God. Now, even though Adam and Eve don't share the same experience that we had, they'd never tasted sin before they fell. But what happened? They actually had good desires. We are wired, created with good desires. But what happened with Adam and Eve? Uh, they were presented with a promise. And even though they knew the command of God, their desire was in the right place. I want to know. I want to have knowledge of good. That's not a bad thing. But they entrusted themselves to the promise of the enemy rather than heeding to the command of God. And that's exactly the nature of our own broken desires, that they lure us away with these false promises. If you do this, you're going to feel better. You're just going to get it out of your system. And man, you're going to be in control. And James says, listen, be careful. You're being lured away. And when it gives birth, it's going to land and explode into sin and affect you and affect everyone around you. And the result is death. The psalmist says, in 37.4, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Brother and sister, we have got to check our desires at the door. We can't let them go out dressed like that. Every desire that bubbles up into our human heart, we know that we are predisposed to believe the lie. And so we've got to check it. We've got to check it. Uh, we've got to check them based upon the word of God and the promises of God. Lord, is this, is this this innate, beautiful desire that you've created in me? Uh, is this a desire for you or has it been completely misplaced? Is it, is it trusting in the promises of the world or the enemy? We have got to test our desires. Uh, we've got to test our anger. Uh, we've got to test our uh, longing to be known and to know. We've got to test all of those things. We've got to check them before they fly out of our mouth or out of our hands. That's what James is saying. He says, I want you to endure through that. I want you to test every single desire that you have and weigh it against the promises of God. Listen, and this is so hard to do. This is so hard to do because we live in a world that tells us all the, the time the desires that you feel is the core of who you are. And if you don't live out the way you feel and how you desire, you are not living out your truest self. And James says, that's a lie. That's a lie. You've got to check all of it. You gotta check all of it because the promises of God are good. And that's exactly where he goes next. He says, let me remind you that in the heart of God, in the purpose of God, in the economy of God, he is good. Verses 16 through 17. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down, from the, from, uh, down to us from God our Father. He doesn't twist or try to lay traps or pull us away or uh, just throw us a curveball. That's not in the heart and nature of God. Uh, God is not trying to put us in a big labyrinth where we just have to figure things out. 
And, and maybe watch us trip up from time to time. That's not in the heart of God. James says, I want you to know God doesn't do that. That's not in his nature. No, when he gives, he gives good things to you. You can trust the good promises of God in the face of the lies and deceit of the promises of the world and the ones that just erupt and overflow out of our own broken human heart. You can believe it that God is good and perfect and he gives those things to his children. I love this. He, he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Man, God is the same. When our world just crumbles and falls and moves and shifts on shifting sand, listen, God is the same. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. He, gave, he chose to give birth to us. Language of Jesus right there again, by the way. He knew his brother so well. Knew his words. But what is James saying to us as we wrap up this major section in chapter one? He's saying that the unchanging father of lights is good and gives good things to those who endure unto the very end, who fight the good fight of faith, who, who fight and struggle to hold on to the promises of God rather than the promises of the world, uh, those who fight to believe his word every single day of their life. The father gives good, good wisdom and treasure to them because Jesus is their Treasure, Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in a time of trouble. That's what James is trying to capture for us in the nature of God. He's a, he's, a, he's a good gift giver. He's a wisdom giver. He's your greatest treasure in this hard life that we live until Jesus returns. He is for you. He's not against you. Help us capture that a little bit. Just let me just mention one more thing. Philippians chapter two. If you've ever wondered what these verses mean, chapter 2, beginning in verse 12 and 13. Dear friends, you've always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Endure until the end, Pastor James would say. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. And now here's the good work of God. Verse 13. For God is working in you. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's the, that's the heartbeat and message of James in this section in chapter one. You are not alone. Life is hard. Press on. God is eager to give you good gifts to bless you in the hardships that you face so that you can be complete and lacking in nothing so that he can shape you into the man and woman he has destined and predestined you to be in Jesus. That's the work of God. He invites us to understand that we are in a brand new, meaningful life. A new journey. Will we endure? Will we believe? Will we check every desire at the door? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this pastoral letter. Thank you for Pastor James. And these words, Lord, we need to hear, hear them all the time. We're grateful, Lord, that you are faithful and good to us. We need you because this world is hard. Help us to cling to your son, Jesus, and hold on to his promises. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support. 
so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.